0: Check out Heritage Network.org slash fifteen to donate and enter to win today. That's Heritage Network.org slash fifteen to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. up That's when it got wheels off. Trapper Shep is a lot of things. He's a singing storyteller, he's a sweetheart, he's a funny guy, he's young, he's tall, he's good looking. But more than anything, he's hardworking. That's what I admire most about Trapper Shep. His work ethic is undeniable. And perhaps that's attributable to his Midwestern upbringing, good genes, I don't know. But I know that that will take you a long way in this world, as will a positive mental attitude. And I think Trapper does a really good job of staying positive, despite what sometimes this artistic life, our culture the current climate, all these things throw a lot at you. And Trapper does a great job of staying positive in the face of it all. He and I sat down in his home in Milwaukee at a kitchen counter. We had a fun conversation, not unlike the one that we've been having for years. He's 20 years younger than me, and he is a lot like A 20 year younger version of me. I'm not going to take any credit for the great things that Trapper has done or is doing, but I have been along for the ride for a lot of it. I don't know that he would call me a mentor, but I've tried really hard to give him good advice when he's asked for it. And I feel like he's doing all the right stuff. I don't envy him coming into this business at a time when the business model has collapsed and the industry is just one long pothole-filled highway of despair in many ways. But I admire what he's doing. I admire his perseverance. I admire his commitment to making art that is truly of him. I think Trapper Shep is a great dude, a great artist, a great singing storyteller. So, please welcome to Wheels Off, Trapper Chef. Hello, Trapper. We're here at last. (laughs) At last. Uh, I want to start singing that song now. At last.
2: Let's not do that. We can, we have the piano in there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we uh, we're for, for those of you listening we're at trappers house in Milwaukee Wisconsin it's a lovely house on the inside the outside of it is as if a bomb exploded
2: that's true but it sure beats the Astor hotel which I was living in for all of this summer and it is so haunted but perfect for writing songs dude as you could imagine I, I kind of love your life
1: <laughs> it's very weird all right well let's start let's start where I where I like to always start these conversations um What creative project are you working on right now, and how do you find it inspiring?
2: So I just am releasing right now my album Primetime Illusion, and uh, that album features uh, a range of songs that are, I think, we could say personal, political, and uh, somewhere in between. And uh, one of the tracks I think you could relate to, it's a Bob Dylan co-write and uh, the wild story behind that is uh, when Bob Dylan was 20 years old, he wrote a song about Wisconsin, and it's a pretty goofy, fun song. You could tell he'd been listening to Woody Guthrie uh, at the time, like, I want my milk, I want it now. Those <laughs> early sort of uh, folky, you know, songs for kids that Woody Guthrie wrote almost. And uh, Dylan wrote this song about Wisconsin, that got basically pushed aside for... 57 years. And his old roommate, Peter Crago, in New York City, put the song up for auction. $30,000. And I saw this article in Rolling Stone, and it said, you know, Dylan's song about Wisconsin up for auction. And I thought, you know, it was just you know, I described it as a, a sinking feeling in my gut. It was just that, that instinct that I had to start something, or I had to finish something that that Dylan had started. Was there you music
1: know? to it, or was it just the There lyrics? was nothing. It okay. was just
2: two sheets of, of, of lyrics. And, uh, yeah, four verses. And so I sat down at the piano. I brewed myself a pot of coffee, and I just got, got right down to it. And I took, you know, my... My love of my home state of Wisconsin, my appreciation of uh, Dylan, and I got right inside of that character, and the character in the song is someone who uh, is pining for the dairy state, you know, and our (laughs) finest exports. So uh, the lyrics go, uh, yes, Wisconsin is the dairy state, I guess you all know it well. I was in Wauwatosa, The Truth I Will Tell. It's the milk, cheese, and cream. Yes, I've known it all my days, and I'm going back to my hometown. I'm leaving right away. So it's a sort of a drifter's, almost late-night fantasy. And I just sort of thought about um, Dylan traveling out to New York, uh, you know, on a train car or something and sort of just a rock to sleep like that one two three two two three to the rhythm of the train you know and so i wrote that the exact sort of rhythm um to the song and then i added a chorus on wisconsin on wisconsin calling me that way now did you
1: give it the title
2: or i did yeah so it was titleless before but um so yeah anyway i finished the song and um we just put it out there on the World Wide Web. I didn't think much of it. And then as, you know, as these things happen in the entertainment biz, in the, in the smoke and mirrors, um, my manager said, you know, threw out some Hail Mary passes and I was laying in bed one night watching Bates Motel and I got an email that said, Dylan has it now. <laughs> so I don't know what that moment was like for you. Um and if, you know, you can tell your listeners about what happened with, with your song, Champagne, Illinois, correct? Yeah, yeah.
1: Trevor's alluding to the, I had a song where I, t- I took a Dylan song, Desolation Row, stole the melody and wrote all new lyrics for it and then found a way to get it to Dylan. Yeah, I remember I had little kids at the time and I was in the, um, the public park, you know, the playground at New Paltz. And, um, I, I think it was pre iPhone. I might have had a dumb Blackberry, but I remember the, the, the email came through, Bob Dylan has it now, basically. Yeah. And that feeling is like, wait, so something I made is now going into Bob Dylan's ears. They're like, this right. is backwards, like the upside down. Yeah, so yeah. That, what, a, what a feeling, what a strange yeah. feeling.
2: I mean, it is. It's just such a, a full circle, almost feeling. I mean, tracing it back to, you know, me standing in a baseball field when I was 14 years old, seeing Bob Dylan live with Willie Nelson, you know, singing, you know, I was I still remember that. I was just standing in the middle of that baseball field as if my two legs were just frozen, you know, and just with my eyes fixed upon Dylan and my ears, just sort of, you know, just take, trying to take it all in when you're, when you're so young. Yeah. But I uh, tried telling that you know, to the to the kids standing there in the field that one day he would share a weird? co-writing credit and then also try to, um, you know, now sitting here with you, try to imagine the amount of circumstances that lead one to sort of, you know, come upon this and then the amount of things that that it takes to, to get something like that officially signed off by someone like Bob Dylan. It's so yeah. It's it's just um it just the chances of it happening are it's like winning the the lottery basically.
1: It's funny. I think uh, like when I have these conversations with people, I really love the idea that it that they're useful. Like even specifically maybe to like young even younger than you trapper, people who are trying to figure out, yeah. you know, how to do this weird job. And I think one thing that we all, um, get hung up on is this idea that it's too big, like that this world is too big and like you'll never. And so what you're describing to me is so sweet. It's, it's like you think like how, how impossible it would be that Dylan would ever, you know, interact with you and you'd have a co-write and that, but it's not impossible. No. You know, and you and I are living test, you know, living proof yeah, of yeah. it. It's a smaller world than you think. And these things that seem impossible are not.
2: Yeah. I mean, Look at us. I I remember listening to your album, Satellite Rides, <laughs> right? Um, Buick City Complex was, you know, the soundtrack to my first heartbreak, you oh. know, and, uh, you know, and then that summer, I remember y'all coming to the Pabst Theater, and I brought you a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah. And that was sort of cool cool for me to to be able to just sort of hand someone that i really admired a bottle of jack daniels and yeah you can sort of laugh at home and the listener but those are the sort of moments that you have with the people that um you you admire early on that you you look back on those moments as being sort of what do they call it the nashville handshake yeah it's just goofy stuff like that but uh yeah, I mean it's it's you, you can't you can't really write it better than than having a co-write with Bob Dylan, and it's mm-hmm. the same goes for you. So well, thanks. I,
1: I I do remember seeing something in your eyes, even with that that goofy day with the bottle of whiskey, that's still there today, and I think is is a the thing that makes you who you are. Like you are you're really. Driven. And I don't mean that in like a commercial way, but I think you've just got this fire inside of you to create. And I just, I guess I wonder, do you remember when you first became aware of that drive? Was there an epiphany moment for you?
2: Yeah, yeah, I remember it very specifically. So I was laid up on my parents couch, the red checkered couch in their basement. And I was a wild accident prone youth. So I, I was really into BMX bike riding. So we'd bit, we'd literally with our hands build bike jumps and then jump off it into the sky and then fall down onto the ground, right? Every mother's worst nightmare. <laughs> and the more times you do that, you know, the, the chances are higher and higher that eventually you are going to severely herniate a disc in your back. You know, so yeah. that's what happened to me at mm-hmm. age, you know, f- you know, 13, 14, you know, somewhere in there, the very pivotal time in your life where you think, what, what, what am I? Who am I? What comes next? And so this, this terrible accident happened that left me sort of spinning directionless. And I was in my parents' basement and I heard the song hurricane come on in a movie. And it was that a minor chord. And I heard Bob Dylan start singing in a voice with gravel, with conviction, with a sense of purpose. And more importantly, it was a voice that felt familiar to me. And it was someone that I felt like I knew, you know, from from growing up in, as they call it, the great Midwest, you know, someone I could connect to. And it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before, you know, and it was that moment that I, I knew in my parents' basement on the red checkered couch that my life had taken a completely different direction, an A minor chord.
1: God, that's so funny. That's really beautiful. Um, I wonder how many of us have a like a Dylan epiphany. Well, it's yours? Well, I just I, there was an uh, on my fifteenth fifteenth birthday, the Smiths came through Dallas, and their opening act was this um, lesbian female folk singer from California named Frank with a ph and a hard c those those were all the ways she described herself i didn't make that up so um um, but she did um the lonesome death of hattie carroll and i'd never heard of her and she was all by herself and she's in a room with three thousand kids in dallas and we're all waiting for the smiths to come out Mm -hmm. we're because we're super fans and she's out there having to win us over strangers and she does this dylan song and i just started crying and i remember thinking like oh yeah, I, that, I could do that, like, she's just standing there with a guitar, and I'd already been taking lessons, and I just, something hit me, like, oh yeah, you just put the words together in the right order, and you deliver them, and you can move people, like, and she, you know, she changed my life, some lady I'd never even heard of before, but yeah, and I, but Dylan was, you know, the the engine behind those words, and it's funny, yeah, he's, you, you know, you and I both know his son Jake now, and, and and Jacob describes his dad going around just giving people the opportunity to meet Bob Dylan. What a weird life that must yeah, be! Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, but I think what's so important uh, for young songwriters—you you mentioned, you know, young songwriters out there listening—something uh, that's been really great for me, just on a very practical level, is being able to be inspired by just the, the world in front of you the world we see so you turn on the tv you turn on the news you turn on your phone you turn on you know whatever npr and you hear a story it's what dylan did who killed davy moore why and what's the reason for the lonesome death of hattie carroll um the death of emmett till these were all real stories and the way that dylan told these people's stories uh was so radically different than what anyone up until that point in popular culture had done. And so, you know, younger songwriters do ask me for, for advice. And that, that's one thing, you know, I've, I've uh, said is, you know, you don't have to make it your, your overarching theme of your career, but pick up the newspaper and, and write a song about something that, that affects you. On a very emotional level, even even if it even if it's not something you feel like you uh, can sing every night, because you might not connect in a real, raw, and honest way with that character, it's a really great exercise that gets your brain um, sort of moving in your hands and g- gets everything connecting. Because, as I'm sure you know, it's the the hardest part of songwriting sometimes is getting the like op- opening the door and then letting the wind blow in yeah, and just getting that spark of, of having a story in front of you to sort of, um, provide your own commentary on like the lonesome death of Hattie Carroll can, can really help a young songwriter along because you have so much of the, the meat there.
1: And it's not connected to people in your life that, you know, that could get their feelings hurt of or judge you for it. Um, It's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I just recently had written that thing for, uh, thing for no depression about songwriting and I, and I split it off into two styles of songwriting, one that's really just stream of consciousness and one that's story driven where you sort of work backwards, where you know what you're Mm -hmm. writing about, like you're describing. And I think you, Trapper, are really good at writing songs where you kind of know what you're writing about and work backwards from that. And I've never thought I was, but you just brought up Buick City Complex, which was a song of mine where I was in Flint, Michigan as the Plant was closing, and I put my and, and I guess this is where those two styles kind of overlap mm-hmm. in the Venn diagram of them. I put myself as a factory worker. What would I do? I'm hanging out at a bar. I'm trying to get laid, and so I'm writing about something like you're describing, like a, a news story. But instead of writing about like the whole broad spectrum of the story, it's one little person who's just trying to get laid that night. And so, like, it, it's funny. Yeah, you just gave me an epiphany. Thank you yeah, very yeah. much.
2: Yeah, but Some, it's a way in. It's a way in, and for a young songwriter, that that jumping off point, that confidence, is the, mo- the one of the most important things. Because I also remember sitting in, you know, my room, and uh, <laughs> sitting in my parents' room, listening to, uh, you know, like artists like Donovan, yeah, and thinking, well. I could probably do, I could probably try something (laughs) like that, but then hearing something like It's All Over Now Baby Blue and thinking I could never, like, that's way out of my league, but I could aspire to do something like that. But what, you know, all of my early songs were so very frivolous and meaningless to be, you know, let's be real. That's, you write a whatever you write a thousand bad songs you get one or two good ones in there whatever you know whatever arbitrary number you want to pop in there but um yeah i just think it's a really great point to place yourself in in another situation to to get yourself moving
1: it's so we you know we we discuss this idea of when you're young and having to overcome not knowing what you're doing, right? Obviously, and, and the answer to that is hours. But then once you've sort of overcome the learner's curve, um, there are still obstacles, right? Like there's there's self-doubt. There's um, like negative self-image and those voices in your head that tell you you're no good. I'm, I mean, you to me seem like a really positive person and like you process things really well as far as I can tell. But I'm assuming that you encounter those sort of negative voices. How do you deal with that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I can, I can talk about a, a song very specifically. That's, that's been a challenge for me. Uh, so yeah, one, one of these songs on the new record is called what you do to her. And it's very difficult. Uh, it's a very difficult subject matter. It's about the epidemic of sexual assault in America. And, uh, I wrote this song because I feel like men have stood on the sidelines of this since, let's face it, the beginning of time, and uh, I think it's just high time for men to begin to amplify the voices of women uh, through song. Because, as far as I'm concerned, and you know, as far as I'm I'm hearing, I'm listening, I haven't heard many songs from men that are touching on this subject, which to me is one of the issues of our times, really. And uh, so I wrote this song called What You Do To Her. It features Nicole Atkins, and uh, it's about someone who gets away with it. So it's about the person like a Harvey Weinstein, like he who shall not be named, number 45. Uh, And then, you know, it's also about the ripple effects in the community, which we all... You know, we all, we all are, uh, we all feel the hurt, you know, there's the victim, there's the attack, but there's the families, there's the friends, there are those in the communities that this will forever, you know, that will forever be, you know, scarred by this. So you ask about, you know, the, the negative voices coming in. Uh, This is a song where it's about such a dark subject and it's about uh, men. It's about, it's about me. It's about me. It's about my friends. It's about, uh, it's about, you know, getting our shit together and uh, changing our ways and evolving and trying better. And, so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a it's been a little difficult, but most most things in in life take time, and they take time to process. And for me, this song is, has been been a really important song in that that I've uh, I've taken a lot of input from strong women in my life, such as my sister. Uh, My ex, you know, ex partners of mine and uh, other women in my life. And it's, it's helped me so much to get other people's input and uh, allow myself to break down all of those barriers and just be raw with people and let, let it all come in. And, and, you know, it's very, uh, it's, it's very ambitious, but, I feel like to not say anything at all as a man in these times feels worse.
1: So so with that song in particular, and then in general with your career, did you have moments where you thought, I shouldn't do this or I should quit? Or did you did you have thoughts of giving up? I mean, was there that kind of self-doubt that took you to the brink?
2: Uh, I think there's never been, for me, a sense of, what, what where's the direction for me it's a life you yeah. know like you it's not there's no question about what what it is we're doing so that's that's another thing you say when when younger people ask well do you have any advice well make it your life and and then you know what i mean yes yeah. it, for me it's not there's no clock in clock out so it's being a musician, being an artist, is is a life. There's no, there's no sort of if-ands or buts about it. And I know you've been on the exact same path for.
1: But 20- I was lucky because I got to be part of the industry when it, when there was still funding, when it was still flourishing. I mean, you you've come up during a time you've had to work so hard for everything <laughs> you've got, and and I really admire that. I mean, I I remember when I first met you, and you were so young, and I remember. Almost just wanting to say like, I don't Stop. know. I don't know. This is not a good time to do this. Yeah. But you've you've made it a good time, and I think that there, there's something really
2: inspiring about that. Yeah, I will say that some of the best advice I've ever gotten was uh, from Jacob Dylan, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, "Stay the course. Music is cyclical." So. And right now is, is such a terrific moment for Americana music. Uh, turn on, turn on the TV. You have Springsteen on Broadway. You have, uh, you know, go to the movies, Queen, a star is born. These are, um, real people connecting with real instruments and in, in a way that hasn't been highlighted in our culture in quite some time. And, uh, it's an inspiring time to, to be a musician. And I think uh, we're also in a very challenging political climate that has given a lot of uh, fire, and to to a lot of young artists. And you know, it, you can't help but try to write yourself out of these these difficult social issues that we're having. So I wonder if, uh, and tell me if you think that.
1: Do you think there's something to the authenticity that sort of is the hallmark of the kind of music you're describing is what's giving it the zeitgeist after all these years of Kardashian culture or whatever? I mean, do people need something that's real?
2: React, Yeah, of course, it's reactionary. Yeah. And so if if you see A Star is Born, and I'm sure so many of the listeners have, uh, there, there's such a brilliant juxtaposition in the movie of Lady Gaga's pop star them mm-hmm. with uh, Bradley Cooper's singer-songwriter career, right? So, um, as the movie progresses, Lady Gaga's career takes off, and Bradley Cooper's uh, personal, you know, life sort of dwindles. And no spoiler alerts, but <laughs> the the most uh, the most magical moments, the most Hollywood moments, are the ones where Lady Gaga is in the parking lot. And it's just her and Bradley singing, or when they're at the piano, and and when, when you see those moments in contrast to, to the ones with all the big flashing lights and the, you know Lady Gaga's more, um, those moments that seem a bit more artificial, the the moments that that seem real are all the more important, and so that to me is 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 really inspiring and great for young artists to go see a movie in the theaters and to see that and say i can do something with my hands that does i don't need a bunch of fireworks yeah i can do something very real without you know all the the lights not that there's we all like a good light show I've, i love radiohead sure. but you know?
1: Well, that's, that's something that's come up a lot in these conversations, the idea of authenticity at the moment of creation. Like, when you're working on a song, um, do you find that if you are calculating what the song should be or trying to make something that you think people will like, does that disqualify the song from potential for succeeding as a piece of art? Like, so does, does the authenticity come from not worrying about what people will think?
2: yeah that's the wild question right it's trying trying to think what other people yeah yeah i just i don't know that i'm in a position yet as an artist or ever will be in which i'll be that concerned yeah you know and i I feel as if you're probably the same way well we all we all want to write a hit song but i think uh you know it's the, the the more we try to reach for it, people know. Oh, it smells
1: of desperation, right?
2: <laughs> people know. And yeah. you've had hit songs. Yeah. You know, and
1: it's... But yeah, you're right. I mean, the songs people like are the songs where you're not even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the songs where you try really hard. I smell or, a rat. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if... I, I, I've been wrapping these conversations up with a question that pertains less to you than some because you are 28 years old right mm-hmm. now it's exactly 20 years younger than me um, which is a generation younger as you love to point out <laughs> um, so if you were to run into a 21 year old version of Trapper Shep working in today's world what advice would you give yourself
2: uh, take a deep breath love that yeah take a deep breath yeah that's something i still work on every single day is uh zen in the art of maintaining a, a mind you know have you read that book zen in the art of motorcycle, motorcycle maintenance, maintenance? Yeah. of course uh yeah i think just yet yeah, be, being a songwriter is also being being someone that can uh have the patience of a you know a marathon runner getting getting ready for a long race you know getting trying to trying to find that voice is is very difficult and you may never find that voice so hang in there yeah. so hang do you, do you find yourself impatient like of course every day yeah. every single day I'm trying to trying I feel like I'm running out of time. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm chasing a song and, and it's that carrot right in front of me constantly. <laughs> there's a song or there's, you know, but that, that's the attitude you have to have if you're an artist. Yeah. If you lose, when you lose that, which I have, it's, it's the worst feeling.
1: That you lose the, the hunger or the drive yeah, the or hung. the belief yeah, in yourself. Yeah, yeah. How did, how did you find it again? Or did it find you? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, so part, part of, uh, me scoring the co write with Dylan was, was a huge inspiration that put wind in my sails. Uh, getting that email that said Dylan has it now. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. What's, you know, and a, f- a few of the other songs on the record, uh, were inspired by, you know, when we lost Tom Petty, yeah. I, that, that left such a monumental, just, you know, like a God sized hole in me because he sort of created the blueprints for what it is we do with, with our bands. Yeah. Um, and I remember waking up that next day with a hungover foggy mind and just trying to write myself out of it and just working with the ghosts of Tom Petty in my, in my mind and uh so we all have these moments when 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 it all comes rushing in so fast it all comes flooding in we almost feel like we just have to turn off turn off the sink and and let it let ourselves catch up to it yeah but uh but yeah it's every every song is a new opportunity to to have a, a new voice which is really something i love about songwriting you don't have to be anyone you can you don't have to, to be in a box you know god i love that
1: that's great advice that i think could apply to really any discipline
2: mm-hmm.
1: well listen i i've i've always admired your work ethic and your talent is undeniable and i'm really grateful that i got to talk to you thank we you we have
2: to go sound we gotta go work come on yeah let's go Thanks, thank Trapper you Shep. yeah cheers
1: every day thanks y'all hey this is Steve Choi host of the Musicians Guild podcast part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network